The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our hosts, Kyle Reiner, Winfield United Master Agronomy Advisor, and Joel Whipperforth, Ag Technology Applications Lead. There's a lot of talk about increased soybean acres this year. Kyle, can you talk about why some farmers may have opted for continuous soybeans and what they need to be aware of when it comes to management? So I think the basics here, the USDA come out with their expected acres. And they're predicting 90 million acres of corn and 89.5 of soybeans, right, with 2.6 that not going to get planted versus last year. I looked and seen the spread between soybeans and corn. And if you take the soybeans divided by your corn, you get your index, which was running like 2.7, which was 20 years since that has happened since the last time. So that's... Market-wise, you're money ahead by thinking, planting more soybeans if you had any kind of rotational issues in the past. And some of the acres got cut back in peas and sweet corn in some of my areas, so they're going to go with some more soybeans. Uh, There's some continuous corn in little percentage, but most of it's going to be in beans on beans. That's going to be just based off the markets. Yeah, I I think when you talk about beans on beans, it opens up a new topic about the disease spectrums that are going to be out there you know if you've got soybean residue out there typically your rotation was the thing that was breaking up the pest life cycle or the disease cycle and so you have all this inoculum out there from last year's crop i think presents some new challenges and some of the pieces that aren't as important in a corn soy rotation become really important in a bean bean rotation and some of those things are seed treatments for early season disease seedling diseases one of the big ones that might rear its ugly head in a bean on bean situation is sudden death syndrome And uh, sudden death syndrome is brought on by the cool, wet conditions and an infection point early in the root, early in the season. And one of the things I've noticed is sudden death, the spectrum of severity is very different across the country. And so the question becomes, okay, so if I'm going to apply a seed treatment like a Levo for $12, $15 per acre, I really have to have a pretty bad sudden death syndrome problem versus if you're going to maybe just have a little bit of sudden death on the headlands and in the compacted areas or just in some potholes, maybe it's not as big of a deal. But you know, we saw Iowa and some of the other I states this last year with sudden death across the, the entire fields. So if you are in a soybean on bean situation, monitoring those. Kyle, what other diseases have you seen kind of rear up on uh, beans on beans? I mean, look, we're all striving for 100 bushel, right? And the Century Club we've been talking about for years and years, we're going to get this 100 bushel, 100 bushel beans, and, and we're planting earlier and earlier, right? So we're planting in cold environments, and thus what you just got done talking about is having a really good seed treatment to start with because any time you can plant earlier, you got more growing points and more spots where you can have flowers above ground, and thus it turns into potential yield in the future. But, I mean, Rhizoc, Pythium, those are just a few of them that, that stick out. In my space, we have some sugar beets. Rhizox a big deal, right? And you're going from a sugar beet to a soybean rotation, whether you throw corn in between or whatever, but it's it's present in the soil. Pythium, you get the damping off. You get into any kind of wet environment, cool rains, you can have a lot of damping off. Phytophthora usually comes in later in my space, but it does pull down quite a bit. 
but a lot of really good seed treatments that we're working with that are given almost up to 40 days of protection against that. Yeah, I think one of the other things is looking at uh, the genetic selection becomes really important. And uh, in particular, looking at your brown stem rot scores on soybeans. That's another disease where the inoculum is out there just waiting for the disease triangle to complete the pest, the host, and the environment. And certainly selecting soybean varieties with good brown stem rot scores is an important step in there. I think another big thing that we need to take a step back and look, if we're going to do some beans on beans, we obviously need to fertilize them because they're a big user of P&K, right? No, they don't use fertilizer. <laughs> they're not a rotational crop, too, in some areas. I thought too. you were just supposed to fertilize for the corn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'd think. You'd think that some people still have that mentality. But as we went to the Roundup Ready 2s or the New Liberties or even the Extend Beans, the platform or the ceiling height of where the yield potential is there but we have to fertilize for it. Spreading stocks, I mean, spreading every crop the same year, P and K is crucial. And then also now with the higher yielding, you're, you're throwing an elemental sulfur in there too. Yeah, yeah, I think soil fertility plays a big role in there. And certainly with commodity prices the way they are, people think about, you know, can I take a year off from fertility? Does going to beans on beans, you know, do you factor in the economics of not having, not choosing to do fertility in that? And when I think about soybean yields and where we find some of the highest consistent soybean yields, it's on farms that have high phosphorus values and the potassium is in check. So those are two key elements there to keep in mind that soybeans do use fertility. We always think about soybeans don't need nitrogen, but, you know, on 60 bushel soybeans, I think the number is something like 400 pounds of N, 400 pounds of nitrogen to create 60 bushel soybeans. So in that, soybeans use nitrogen by getting it out of the atmosphere, fixing it on the nodules, and then putting it into the plant. But they also need to be able to extract some of the other macronutrients like phosphorus and potassium. Any other uh, best management tips? I think some of the tips, and I I don't condone beans on beans, right? I always want to see some kind of rotation for the best return on investment. But if you are going that way, you're going to need to do P&K. You're going to have to do inoculants. The new strains are about 30% better or more active than the old strains just to try to get the even playing field. And then uh, watching fungicides. You know, fungicides is a big deal for us. And the state of Minnesota was over three bushel. So, I mean, it's well worth the fungicide application to go across the acre. Hey, do you ever get the question of, uh, since I went soybeans last year and I inoculated my soybeans, since I'm going back, do I have to inoculate them again? Well, depends on, there's a lot of different circumstances, right? You get ponded water will kill the bacteria. Light, sandy soil. I mean, that's not conducive for any kind of living bacteria. I mean, there's a lot of different variables out there. So always having that fresh strain that every year that you plant is, is going to be beneficial for or high yielding. Now, if we're looking at 50 bush or less, it doesn't matter. I mean, really, in the big scheme, if your yield goal is 50, I'm lost for words when you're... Some people are like, yeah, 50 bushel is great. I'm I'm not talking about 50 bushel. I'm talking about 60 to, to 100 bushel, and that's the stuff you need to follow to consistently get that over years and years. Yeah, I, I'm still, you know, when you talk about the best disease management for soybeans is corn and is to rotate out of there. And I think that's one of the things that as some of those acres slide, you know, that 89.5 million acres that they project, I think that some of the geographies that I kind of live in, and they like a corn followed by snow rotation. I talked to my neighbor the other day, and I said, hey, you know, what are you using for herbicide on beans this year? He goes, ah, I just 
I just don't like planting soybeans. It's just just not as much fun as corn. And one of the things that he's primed for is he's in a pretty solid corn on corn rotation. Well, all of a sudden, after two, three years of corn on corn, there's a bump from breaking up that disease cycle. That extended corn rotations allow you to break up that disease cycle. And so I think there's some opportunities there as those acres kind of shift around that there's some farmers that maybe really only think about planting corn that they've got kind of a a savings bond that was collecting some interest out there and being able to cash that in by rotating into soybeans this year might be one of the things they do. I think some of the numbers I've seen through some of the universities are around a a two to five bushel bump from an extended rotation. And that's one of the things, you know, you're breaking up that disease cycle and even, you know, you're breaking up some of the pest infestation cycles like on cyst nematode. And I, I don't know, do you deal with a lot of cyst nematode problems out there? Well, if you test for them, I don't know if too many people do test for them, but uh, it's the the largest yield robbing pest that we have in soybeans, and nobody really recognizes it because it's below ground, right? It's not like you drive by a field and there's a big sign saying, "Hey, I got soybeans this nematode here." But I mean, researchers showed that it's quarter million bushels every year that are lost due to this pest, right? And and we kind of accept it, and there's some races out there that are starting to manipulate their way around and figure out different resistance that we have or breeding. But when you think about that many dollars every year that we're doing it, and then to think that we're going to be doing beans on beans and you're not breaking that cycle, it's kind of crazy. People that I've had really, really good luck raising beans has followed off of years and years of corn. And the answer plot in Minnesota the highest yielding one come out of Truman, it was 94 bushel coming after like 10 years of corn, right? There's the pestilence pressure is really nothing there, and then we're getting 94. I mean, that's crazy. South Dakota, Garrison, we got 99 bushels. So we're really, really close to getting that 100 bushel mark in the upper Midwest. Now, down south, yeah, they're, they're breaking that 100, and there's national corn growers that do really well with corn and beans that are well over 152. But for us up here, if we can get 100 bushel beans, that's a, it's phenomenal. Are you ready for a question from one of our listeners? Yes. Tom from South Dakota asks, do you think soybeans grow better in the 20-inch rows or 15-inch rows? And do you believe we need to start fertilizing our beans with more nitrogen? Well, let's tackle the row spacing one. I, this is kind of a, an interesting one because in my part of the state, we have this thing called white mold. And so if you're not on 30-inch rows and you have a white mold problem, you're decimated by 30 bushel. It just takes it right off the top. So we see a lot of 30-inch row spacings over here. Now, without white mold, I think you know you run into some narrow row spacings over by you because of sugar beets and 20-inch corn when you get to the Dakotas a lot more. There's an opportunity for row spacing, but it really comes down to if you've got a disease like white mold, that's going to trump row spacing any day of the week for me. So the row space in our space, and I looked at a chart earlier before we got in here today, is, you know, drilled. That used to be the big fad when I grew up, right? When I was running around diapers, everybody had a drill. It was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Now it's, if you look at the trends, it went from a lot of drills down. It's just slowly declining. And and now we got 15-inch rows, and everybody's studying, and all the academics are going 15, 20s, 22s. What's the magical number? And, and like Joel said, if you don't have a lot of white mold, then data has shown that it's been four to five bushel better in narrow rows than what it is in 30s. And so the conservation or the preservation of water is a big deal, right? And what's the big grill in the room, right? Weed pressure. If we don't have 
a narrower row canopy, then you have more optimal space and sunlight for those rows and weeds to germinate. So your second question, Tom, was around nitrogen. And actually, we need to start applying nitrogen to soybeans. And this one's kind of a tricky one. We certainly want the beans to get all the way through their vegetative stages in the early parts of the year and start to make a robust nodule package on those roots so that it can support its own nitrogen fixation. But there becomes a, a yield limit where the rhizobia seem to not be able to produce more. So some of the experiments that we've run on the answer plot system, once we get to about 65, 67 bushels in that range, all of a sudden there adding some nitrogen starts to be the place where we pick up some yield bushel differences. So I think we, we've done some nitrogen applications at R2, which would kind of be about that I don't know, last week of uh, July, first week of August, so the, the reproductive two times And we've seen some nice bumps when we get above a certain 65 bushel yield environment. The challenge is, is I have no idea what 65 bushel soybeans look like. I can't. I, I've just never been able to guess at what sixty-five bushel beans. You mean look like. five foot beans isn't sixty bushel? Yeah, you can have seventy bushel straw and five bushel beans. So the only way I've ever figured out how to check for yield is to get going in your pickup truck right alongside the bean field. And look down at the speedometer, and whatever the speedometer said, it's usually about what the yield estimate is. That's a little different. That almost goes back to your story about that old guy one time that held a bunch of beans in your hand. He rolls them around in his hand. He goes, where's the point? (laughs) Right? I was just going to say the reason that we're not putting nitrogen on early, right? Soybeans fix their own nitrogen, and if you do put nitrogen on early, they are are lazy. Soybeans are lazy. They're only going to fix as much as they want to fix. And if you put too much nitrogen down early, they won't fix nitrogen. The nodules won't be active, and you'll have a whole lot of straw and not a lot of beans. So we're targeting that R2, R3 coming back. If you're looking to do something in that 65 bushel yield environment up to 100, absolutely you're going to see an advantage. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperfirth, Winfield Ag Technology Application Lead and Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor, Kyle Reiner. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. 